Hello friends, this is Pastor Bill Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Hello friends are the first two words I begin each message that I get the privilege to share each Sunday. I get to tell my friends about the greatest friend, Jesus Christ. I also consider friends to be one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this earthly life. Most of the episodes will be messages I share each Sunday, but from time to time, I'll invite a friend to share some of their life with us over a beverage. I pray these episodes bless you and help you on this journey of life. God's blessings to you, friend. This is a message I shared on Wednesday, November 29th. It will be our first midweek Advent service. It's from 1 Thessalonians. And the sermon series is called, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Ascending. And the first part of the sermon series is called, The Two-Minute Warning. Lord, I ask that you speak through me this evening. Please guide me with your words. Your word guides us. Your word shows us just how much you love each and every one of us. Through your word, let us each know of your hope, your peace, your joy this Advent season. I ask all of us in the name of our crucified Savior who died and rose for our sins. Amen. Good evening, friends. We're going to talk about grace tonight, so thank you for showing me grace. I was so happy that I didn't say good morning that I forgot that we're changing the service up and not starting with a hymn, right? Old habits are hard to break, right? Uh, well, a close NFL game is most exciting to watch when? When it's the two-minute warning, right? The last two minutes. The two-minute warning, if you didn't know, goes back to the earliest days when the referee's watch was the official game clock. When two minutes were left in the game, he would stop the clock and let both teams know exactly how much time remained. Well, starting in about the 1960s, the NFL made the stadium's clock the official game clock. But the league didn't do away with the two-minute warning because it built excitement. And they also gave TV and radio networks another opportunity to sell more commercials. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 has a lot in common with the NFL's two-minute warning. Paul says that the world history is almost over. Time is short. The game is on the line. The problem, though, is that too often we live as though there is no need at all to be urgent. We believe the voice that says, no, Christ is not coming back anytime soon, if at all. So what's the big deal? Live and let live. And so we think we have all the time in the world. Well, Paul protests. We're living in the last days. Christ's return is imminent. Believers need to have a plan. We need a two-minute drill. What does that look like? Well, Paul lays that out for us. 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Rest in grace, Paul says. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians. In God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We continue to remember before our God and our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, yes, history is coming to an end. Yes, Christ will come again to judge both the living and the dead. Yes, all, all, all will appear before God's judgment seat. But this doesn't mean we need to panic. It's not a time to freak out. The best NFL quarterbacks, Tom Brady, John Elway, Joe Namath, Johnny Unitas, Bart Starr, Peyton Manning, when faced with a two-minute drill, always exude confidence. Because having a breakdown or panicking doesn't help anyone, let alone their team. Where do we get our quiet confidence? Paul says that we are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One of Paul's most frequent expressions is this. In Christ. In fact, he uses it 170 times in his 13 letters. And to be in Christ is to live in grace. Grace. Grace is like this. It's like being in a diving competition and doing a belly flop, right? The judge, but then after you do the belly flop, the judge gives you a perfect 10. God gives us a 10 in spite of our constant belly flops, in spite of our constant mistakes. Paul says grace creates faith, love, and hope. Faith draws us closer to God. Love draws us closer to one another. Hope draws us towards Christ's second coming. It's not time to panic or freak out. We don't need to have a Maalox moment. It is time to rest in grace which means that when Christ appears, we get a 10. Witness to others, Paul writes, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Now that word there is Greek. The Greek word is exacta. Exacta. Try it over. Exacta. Exacta. To make the most of every opportunity during the two-minute drill, teams often employ what? The no-huddle offense, right? They keep moving down the field. Time is short. You can't waste time on unimportant stuff like a huddle. That's what the Thessalonians are doing. They're making the most of every opportunity. And that means one thing. They are witnessing to others. They told people that belly flops may be painful, They may be ugly, they may be messy, but they're not the end. Remember, grace means you get a 10. Paul says that the Lord's message rang out from you. The Greek word for rang out is exekta, from which we get the English word echo. An echo repeats what is originally spoken. Our witness echoes God's word. We don't have to make stuff up. Our witness to the world is not, well, I got a quiver in my liver and I've got an ocean of emotion and then God told me. 
No. God wants us to echo what he says in his word. The first gift mentioned in 1 Thessalonians is grace. And the letter ends in 1 Thessalonians 5.28 with these words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace is the beginning. Grace is the end. He says grace, and we echo it with grace. We speak grace. We share grace. We work with grace. We shop with grace. And we learn with grace. The church is a loud echo chamber of grace. And showing grace and giving grace is something I always, always need to work on and get better at. Turn from idols, Paul writes. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, Thessalonia is 50 miles away from Mount Olympus. Now, Mount Olympus is where all the Greek gods reside, remember from Greek mythology. Now, if you lived in Thessalonica and you were going to plant crops, you would pray to the god of the harvest, the god of the soil, the god of the weather. If you were a businessman, you would pray to the god who offers success in business. But when the Holy Spirit opened the Thessalonians' hearts to Jesus, they realized that their greatest problem wasn't their harvest and it wasn't their business. Their greatest problem was this, that they had offended a holy and just God. So Paul told them, Jesus poured out his blood to forgive them, rose on the third day to embrace them, and is coming again to restore them. There was once an immigrant from Africa that moved to the United States now, this man was well ed before he came to the United States, <clears throat> excuse me, he was well educated and he was already a Christian. After some time of living in the United States, this man was asked what he thought of living here. Well, he gave a rather long answer and referred to many things. And then he said, You Americans have three gods. Well, the response back to the African immigrant was this What do you mean, three gods? He continued, In the winter, you worship a fat man in a red suit. In the spring, you worship a rabbit. And in the fall, you sacrifice and kill turkeys. I wish we had just three gods, didn't we, in this country? But we all know there's a whole lot more. Maybe it's another person. Maybe it's that car or truck or vehicle that you wanted. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your leisure time. Two-minute drills don't have time for competing opinions. Only one person calls the shots, and we don't have time for competing gods. Paul admonishes us to turn from idols and to give our life over to following the living and true God, Paul writes, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from the coming wrath. So, sorry, sports fans. This is where the analogy with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and the NFL two-minute drill ends. Because in a close game, NFL teams, they don't know who's going to win or lose. But that's not us as Christians. We know the outcome. There's no doubt about it. Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. And that's good news. That's good news for this Iowa State and Vikings fans, because we know 
our teams are usually on the short end. And I'm afraid Nebraska fans know that as well, don't they? And Iowa fans, I'm just going to throw you right in there with you, okay? We as Christians all win in the end when Jesus returns in glory. There was a hunter hunting ducks. He was out hunting one day, and he was in southwest Georgia. On the horizon was this cloud of smoke, and he realized the terrible truth. A brush fire was coming his way, and it was very windy. So what did he do? He lit a fire. He burned some grass in a patch, and he stood in the place that was burned over. When the fire came near, it swept over him, leaving him unharmed. When Christ returns, the judgment of God will be like that fire. It will be powerful and it will be cleansing. But if we stand in the burned over place, we'll be saved. So where, you ask, is this burned over place? The burned over place is at the foot of the cross. Where the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And so there we stand while we wait for Christ. When we finally realize that the time is short, that we don't have all the time in the world, everything, I mean everything, changes. Just ask any NFL quarterback. But as Christians, better yet, we just need to look to the words of Paul. So, for next week, you have a little of assignment. Read 1 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13. And you got three questions. It's like confirmation class, isn't it? All right? I'll send these out. Have you ever prayed for someone in the way Paul prays for the Thessalonians? Have you ever prayed for someone in the way that Paul prays for the Thessalonians? Two. Why does Paul chiefly pray for the Thessalonians to increase in love? What does this tell you about your prayers? And three, who is going through a difficult season in life that you will pray for? Thank you once again for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we share in our messages, any questions on faith, any just general questions, get a hold of me. I'd love to have a conversation. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. God bless. <laughs>